0: So pick your favorite and prepare your taste buds for an unforgettable eating experience. Deadeye Premium Barbecue products are available at Fairway, Hy-Vee, Amazon, or at DeadeyeBBQ.com.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Culture Check, Potter Talk. I'm Arnold Woods here with Emily Cornell. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Doing well. We got, a, we got one episode in the bag. You know, we got our feet wet a little bit, so I'm feeling good. I'm feeling confident. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, this is um, a really fun thing to do. I had a, I had a lot of fun uh, on last week's episode, so I'm excited to dive back into this Harry Potter world.
0: Same. It was, it was fun, um, you know, just talking about, like, the moments that we liked the most reading the books. Um, and I would guess they're not going to be anywhere close to what our favorite moments are from the movies. Right. Because um, it's almost... They're two
1: different things, yeah, they're very different. It's a different medium, obviously, and we'll get into that as we get into our our lists here, but I try to appreciate it as a different medium, and yeah, like as an interpretation of the books rather than like a direct oh, adaptation yeah. of them, I guess,
0: yeah, I don't think they could do a direct adaptation. that would just be one the movies would be super long. Um, and there's just so much detail in the books that like, I don't know if it would have made it into a movie. I think they get the gist of it in the movies. Like it's, it's not missing. Like you want those small things, but like you realistically can't have them all in there.
1: Right. And movies make you feel a different way than books do. I think that books have an ability to make you feel a specific way and movies do as well. So I think that it's, it's unfair to try to Criticize to a point, yes, the movie for not being exactly like the book, but there i don't know there's I, I wanted to I guess off the top really since we're talking about it, I wanted to get your kind of takes on on the series in general um, in terms of not just how it's different from the books but like how you kind of you you explained in the last episode about you know watching the movies separate from the books and things like that, and um just what are your thoughts on the on the Harry Potter movie franchise
0: i really enjoy the movies i understand that like the the acting's not always great um you see the actors grow up which is really fun um and like the movies are not consistent and not even in regards to the books but like there were different directors so there were like different vibes for each movie um that are noticeable but I, i love the movies um Even the one, like, Order of the Phoenix, book and movie, both aren't really my favorite of the series, but I, like, I still enjoy watching and reading them. And um, I think that the movies, to, like, do that many movies and, like, wrap it up where it's just, like, you have this set of eight movies. Like, I think it's impressive and it's really cool. And it was something I liked growing up with. Like, maybe that's why I'm just, like, oh, I like it. Even when I don't love aspects of it I still really enjoy it because it's like part of my childhood
1: um what are your thoughts on the movies yeah those are some good points that you made I think for me it's I have more of a connection or I started with more of a connection to the movies than the books because I saw the movies before I read the books um I remember yeah. saying on the last episode how the first movie that I saw after reading the book was Deathly Howls part one yeah. So I was more familiar with the movie series than I was the book series. And so when I actually read the book, I understood what people were, were talking about in terms of the book being a more detailed world than the movies are. But I do. I like the movies. Uh, the, the first two movies I haven't seen in a very long time. I think the first two movies I, w- I would watch when they were on TV Yeah, after they came out in theaters when I was younger. So I will have to do, and I'll disclose that there aren't any moments on my list from the first two movies. Okay. Um, But I need to go back and and rewatch that because that might change after sitting with those two movies again after, you know, 15 plus years. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, but I I, I enjoy the movies. I enjoy movies in general. Mm -hmm. And I think that the the Harry Potter franchise is, is kind of interesting in that it was, you know, it, it kind of predates the MCU. Yeah. And it's, there's similarities between the two because they're both adaptations of these hugely popular pieces of like pop writing. Yeah. Um, in terms of like comic books and then this, you know, young adult fantasy franchise or whatever, but it's I think about how the last movie how the last book was split into two movies and how um how they were marketed and how it was such a a cultural event for the last movie to come out, the last two movies to come out really, and I think that there's some parallels you can draw between that and like, you know, the last two Avengers movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's 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 just kind of interesting to compare and contrast those two. But yeah, I I enjoy I enjoy the movies and and obviously this episode we're gonna gonna break down our top five movie moments how was it making this list for you was this an easy list for you to make
0: um yes and no like I know what I thought about the moments where I'm like what do I immediately think of when I think of the movies and they're not necessarily strong moments like there's a moment that didn't even make like the list or like honorable mentions because I was like no I just enjoy that because it's just some random moment in the movie and it's um when Harry is with Hagrid and Professor Slughorn and they like they're there with the dead spider and he's like it's the pincers," and like it doesn't really do much to the movie as a whole it's just a funny moment so like putting together the list I'm like okay like what's actually a moment that's a strong moment in the series like in the movies that like are somewhat um significant um so then I really sat down and was like, okay, what what will other people kind of be able to identify with in the movies? So it was a little hard, but at the same time, I've watched the movies a lot where I'm like, oh yeah, I really enjoyed this part of this movie. Like I'll skip to it. Um, if I'm just like, oh, I just need to watch a Harry Potter movie. So um, how about you? How, how was putting together this list for you?
1: It was more difficult than I anticipated, I think. I'm, I'm similar to okay. you in that a lot of the, a lot of the moments that I picked were I tried to have them be somewhat powerful moments, but I also, I feel like my book list honestly was more just like random things that I liked, random moments that I liked that might not be crucial or pivotal to the storyline, but just really stuck with me for whatever reason. And so with this, with the movie list, I think that I, i looking at both of our lists. I think I, I went for things that are more, um, I, I thought of things that were more, I think, darker, kind of, okay. a little bit in the movies for whatever reason,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I tried to add a little bit of likeness to my movie selections here okay? because I didn't want to just be, like, in my feelings talking about <laughs> these movies because there are, there are fun parts in the movies, right? Yeah. Not, it's not all gloom and doom, so I tried to bring a little whimsy to it, I guess.
0: Yeah. Was there anything in the movies that you disliked, or anything about the movies that you disliked?
1: Yeah, but it's retroactive to me. to me reading the books? So oh. when I when I read the books, I there are certain things that I wish that had been included yeah. again, which is you know a bit unfair of me. And then a, a, a movie like Half Blood Prince, which is pretty radically different from the books. Yeah, there are just whole swaths of the books that are that aren't in there that are pretty pivotal to the story yes in a in a in a way that's not similar to Goblet of Fire because Goblet of Fire is just such a a big book yeah and so things like you know Hermione and Spew from that book aren't really aren't in the movie at all yeah which is understandable yes but it's there are just some some changes in Half-Blood Prince that are kind of baffling to me which I like the movie but I don't know
0: I think that is definitely what it, like I really enjoy that movie and I enjoy the book, but to me they are not the same.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're they're pretty, pretty radically different. It's yeah. it's really I think about the choices that the producers and the directors made in terms of why they would make those those changes. I don't know. It's weird. Weird to think about. Do you want to just get into the list though?
0: Yeah, yeah. Let's jump into what your moment number five is.
1: So, moment number five for me is a controversial moment for Harry Potter fans, I think. My number five moment is in Deathly Hallows Part One, and it is the little dance interlude between Harry and Hermione when they are on the run looking for Horcruxes across the English countryside, yeah. and Ron has left them, and they're in a really, you know, bleak place at that point. They're kind of hopeless, and they're kind of without a clue as to where to go next and things like that. And so they turn on the radio and then they kind of dance, um, together. And this moment isn't in the books, but I remember reading about this moment after the movie came out in interview where they kind of talked about how they played it in terms of them dancing and this, you know, trying to find this lighthearted moment in the midst of this, um, kind of depressive, um, Worry some anxiety-induced circumstance that they're in uh, that they're in. And so they, they try to find this light moment, and again, Ron is gone, so that just adds to everything, and they kind of dance together, and it's just, you know, this little 40-second you know, dance that they do, and yeah. then they kind of stop, and then they kind of just go back to moping around a little bit but it's just like this little bit of light in this really bleak moment and it's controversial one because it's not in the book and then two because it kind of hints at some sort of subdued or potential like romance between harry and hermione and i i wanted to get your thoughts on this because i think that the movies really push the harry hermione dynamic more so than the the movies push that more so than the books do would you agree with that
0: yeah, and I'm wondering if they're just trying to make it so that it's not as obvious that there's event- eventually it's going to be, and spoiler alert, Hermione and Ron end up together.
1: Yes, like- Spo- spoiler alert, sorry, I, we, already, we should have said that at the top of this episode. Our, uh, our leader in charge, Ted Flint, um, kind of in, uh, encouraged us to do that. So if you're in this podcast and you don't know what happens in the Harry Potter book or movie series, um, watch them, read them, and then come back and, and finish up
0: yeah so but yeah um I do think that in the in the movies there's like that definite and like I don't know knowing the books and the movies it's like oh it's just Harry and Hermione are like definitely just like very good friends and it's like very platonic but I can see that if I hadn't read the books and also didn't really know where the movies were going like maybe um but like you see in halfblood prince how unhappy hermione is when ron is with um lavender that it's just like oh maybe that and that's when it starts moving in that direction but yeah for sure in the movies harry and hermione have a very um it's not very different dynamic but they definitely lean into it more
1: yeah for sure and even in the books I'm thinking of like Goblet of Fire where there's a big argument between Ron and Hermione after the Yule Ball. That's in yeah. the movies too, but it's, it's yeah. just more, way more hinted at in the books earlier about the Ron and Hermione dynamic.
0: Yes. Like I remember getting to where they end up together. And I was like, oh no, they are going to end up together. And like, again, my mom and I had read and watched the movies together. And she's like, yes, like you can guess that at the end of the first book. And I'm like, I can't.
1: (laughs) But maybe adults can see the subtext more than than we can.
0: Yeah, that's, and that's what I like just figured that I'm just like, well, maybe like you've read enough books that you kind of know how they're going to set this up. But I'm just like, oh, cool. Um, So this scene of Harry and Hermione dancing like yeah it's not in the book so like that threw me off seeing it but then I guess again because by that point I was like I know it's supposed to happen in this movie because of the book um this doesn't really like I don't understand why this is even part of this movie but I don't like Harry and Hermione aren't happening I just don't get the the addition of the scene. And like you said, where like it adds this like lightness while they're in like a really dark place. But I, it just, it's a very random way to make that happen.
1: It is. And I I think to me, I just like it because it makes sense. It makes sense that they would, that this moment would happen. It's not a necessary moment to happen, but I think that it would make sense if you're just so overwhelmed with the task that's before you. And then one of your, rocks one of your best friends one of your the people who said that they would be with you through this endeavor the whole time like they split and I was like yeah. well damn like what do we do now yeah. so I think that you know when people are put into pressure situations like that they do things that are a bit out of character at times yeah but this moment I think just makes sense in that it 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 makes sense that two people who are who are on this like suicide mission would try to find some sense of normalcy or some sense of connection with each other. Yeah, and I don't know. I just I, I liked it for that reason. I think that it's it's a it's an example of the movie medium explaining something in a way that's different from the books, but still it was effective to me. So
0: yeah, that was I mean. yeah. No, that's a, that's very good. Like that's a good um, moment, and it it definitely is something i think it comes across better because it's in a movie like because the film is the medium in a book it really would be odd right like i don't know can't even think about how it would come across in the book had she written that
1: i know a lot more fan fiction i'm sure would have Uh, from it yeah yeah we won't get into that. No, though.
0: no. <laughs> we're we're only sticking to the the movies and the books.
1: Exactly. We don't want to go down that that route. What is your number five moment?
0: Um. So this was definitely one of the moments where I was just like, I think of this when I think of the series, uh, the movies specifically, when Harry and Hermione are in the library, and he's like, "But I am the chosen one," and she just like smacks it um it just it's very funny because I think there's a similar scene in the books but it isn't that funny when she's just like no calm down um in the movie it just like seeing it makes it like comedic and like he's kind of making fun of himself but also like kind of being full of himself and Hermione Is being the friend that like humbles him she's just like no you you need to get away from that so that was one of the the scenes in the movies that I'm just like yeah that that is like their dynamic to me is he is unsure and she'll like be a really good cheerleader but when he needs a coach she's definitely a good coach like Hermione's just the best friend everyone needs a Hermione friend
1: we would all be lucky to have a Hermione friend.
0: Oh my gosh, yeah.
1: That is a good moment. I like that he's, you know, he's kind of feeling himself a little bit. You know, I think it's Romilda Vane. She tells him that Romilda Vane is
0: yeah. throwing him
1: a, a love potion. And he's kind of interested, like, oh, word! And she's like, you know, she, you know, she's only interested in you because you're the chosen one. So, yeah, and the smacking and everything like that. It's cool. I, its It's rare that he gets to to flex a little bit and feel himself a little bit. So I, yes. I think it's a good moment too.
0: And he doesn't ever with like Ginny, I don't feel like he ever is like that about her. Um No, never. He's very like, he would never be that cocky. To, like if someone was like, oh, Ginny's into you, he would have been like, oh, like not scared, but still like, oh, what do I do? Um, Instead of. Being how he's in this scene um
1: so yeah it uh, was interesting to me that it actually took him that long to recognize maybe he recognized how jenny felt about him and didn't really give it that much thought but it's it's, it's interesting that it took him to that film and book for him to sort of start to reconcile his f- feelings for jenny i thought that it was for someone who is in his head In his own head, as much as Harry is, it's interesting that it took him that long to kind of realize that he liked her, like halfway through that book.
0: Well, I'm wondering if, because like they met when they were like very young. I mean, they're young in the whole series, but like they meet when they're 11 and 10. And in the moment that they all meet, he's just like, pretty much that's Ron's sister. Then in the Chamber of Secrets, like he saves her because she's Ron's sister. It like... I think it takes a while before, because he, he's like, oh, maybe she just is like, she has like a little crush on him, but it's not anything serious. And then, yeah, it's, it's just interesting when he gets older and he's like, oh, yeah, like Ginny is very much her own person. She becomes a very strong character. Um, and that's when he's like, oh, yes, Ginny is a viable option.
1: That's a good point. Yeah, they were both really young. And it's so, this one of the, I've, I've I think I've seen like tweets or someone said like the most unrealistic thing about the Harry Potter series is marrying someone that you met when you were 10 years old. Cause that like never happens. But, um, yeah, it's, she does become a, a really, you know, she's, she's becomes the popular girl in her grade and yeah. she's, you know, she's good looking, she's a really talented witch and all these other things. And so I, I think it, it did, took it took a while for harry to sort of remove the the lens of her being ron's sister yeah versus her being just jenny her own person so
0: yes and that i mean it takes time and i think when she stopped being so like squirrely around him
1: too that probably helped yeah definitely she was very you know she would dart into other rooms and everything like that whenever he came came through when she was really young so
0: yeah so what is your number four moment
1: number four for me is in the movie prisoner of azkaban and it is towards the end where the reveal of peter pettigrew being scabbers comes about so they go into um the shrieking shack Sirius Black in his animagus form drags Ron into the Shrieking Shack. It's pretty similar to the book, but the book is a lot more detailed. And there's a lot more nuance in the book Yeah, in this moment. But I think that the tension is still apparent in the movie version. They cut out a lot of things, but it's, what sticks out to me about this moment is like the desperation from each character. Yes. There's a sense of urgency from each character. And so... Um, you know, Sirius is desperate to kill Peter Pettigrew and Lupin is desperate to make sure that Harry understands what's going on because clearly he doesn't and clearly Ron and Hermione don't. How could they? We mentioned this in the last episode, but like the, the reveal of Sirius Black, like you can, no one could really see that coming. And, and then Snape enters kind of at the midpoint of the scene and he is desperate for his revenge. Basically, I remember in the book, there is a line from Lupin to Snape, who comes in and he like has this like maniacal look in his eye about everything because you know he's you know here's proof that Sirius Black is here and he's had help getting into Hogwarts, not knowing that it's Crookshanks. Um, so he thinks that it's Lupin, but he's just you know ready to get back at this group of people who. Made his his childhood a living hell, basically. And Lupin says to Snape, "He's like, is a schoolboy grudge worth sending an, an innocent man back to Azkaban?" Because he sees like how crazy Snape is and how hell bent he is on turning Sirius over to the Dementors at the expense of hearing that well, actually, Sirius is innocent. So it's just there's so there's such a great tension in the scene and then if you if you watch the scene i just re-watched it uh, a while ago but like the set is kind of like swaying the entire time yeah to simulate the um like the shack swaying and the whomping willow that they had to go through like that's that's been kind of swaying so it's just like this this unease in the midst of all this in the midst of all this tension and there's a lot of fast dialogue between everyone trying to get out what they want to get out so they can explain what's happening. And like, as they're doing that, the entire set is just kind of swaying back and forth the whole time. So it just kind of throws you off your equilibrium or whatever. You just kind of like confused as to what's happening. But I think that is a really, a really effective scene.
0: It's a very good scene and it's definitely a more like tense scene um I think you laid it out very well where it's just like everyone has something that they're trying to like get in that moment that like a lot of moments in the movies and the books there aren't that many like perspectives being fought for because it's either like Harry and Voldemort or like Harry and Draco like it's very, it's very much just between like two people. So that's one time where everyone is like very desperate to be like, this is my point of view.
1: Yeah, it's just so, it's, it's full of subtext from not just what's going on in the book, but also the past lives of the adults, Yeah, which is something you don't really get. Like you get the, the context of watching these students grow up but here's a, a moment in the series. It's pretty rare that this happens in the series or in the movie series. But here you get the weight of the past from the older characters and the decisions yeah. that were made when they were in school and how that's carried over into the decisions that they're making now and the relationships that they're, that they have now. And so, yeah, there's just, there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of tension and. It's just a it's a powerful scene. And it's a good movie. I really like that movie. A lot of people think it's the best movie. It's well done. I don't know. It is. It is well done. And it's definitely, you know, it's shot differently. Um, yep. Directed by Alfonso Cuaron, who did Ichumama Tembian, which is, I remember, have you ever seen that movie? I have not. Wild movie. Wild movie to compare to, like, he compared it to this because it's Ichumama Tembian centers around a trio of two boys and a girl, like taking a journey. And it's, you know, it's similar to, you know, Ron, Hermione and, and Harry, but, uh, that's more of a, the other movie is more of a, like a sexual awakening type movie. And oh. it's just like a, it's way, way different, but he had them. I remember seeing an interview where he had them, the three of them, the three actors, Rupert Grant and um, Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson watch Ichimama Mamatembi just to get a sense of these three main characters taking this long extended journey with each other. So this is really interesting, but it's it's way it's the most it's one of the most unique movies in the series, in my opinion. So
0: I agree with that. That's definitely I think that's where the movies get very much elevated um, in terms of like how they're the stories are being told. Like, it starts... Which And it's very different from, like, the ones after that, but it's so different from the first two. Like, it kind of relaxes a lot. Um, Like, in the first two movies, like, it's very... It seems very much like they're at boarding school. It's very strict. And then, like, all of a sudden in this movie, um, it's a little bit more like the books where it's, like, fun. It's a little bit dark, but, like, it's still, like, this fun fantasy that is... Um, yeah, like not taking itself too seriously. I don't know if that's
1: like the right way to describe it. No, something. I agree. All I right. agree for sure. And for our listeners, please forgive my Spanish accent. It's horrible. I took French in high school and my French accent is horrible. So please don't drag me for that. Okay. <laughs> number uh, number four moment for you, Emily. Can you please let us know?
0: Yeah. So it's in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, which is not one of my favorite movies of the the this movies um like I will watch it I enjoy it and I like it's fun it like I just kind of ragged on it talking about um the Prisoner of Azkaban like it's still like kind of taking itself seriously for a kids movie um it but the moment I'm picking is um when Harry and Malfoy duel and like Gilderoy Lockhart and Professor Snape are like the adults in the room and it's just like that moment like sticks out in my mind and like when i think about those first two movies it's definitely a big moment i just like come back to it's not a defining moment really it's just like harry and draco fighting as they like kind of do throughout the series but it's like very public and like in the books in the first book, like, they had the Midnight Duel, but that didn't make it into the first movie. And so this is kind of their first um, public, uh, like, fight. I don't want to say it's really a fight because it's really not, but they, like, they're both doing magic, and it doesn't really pan out very well. And, like, a lot of it ends up being focused on Gilderoy Lockhart. Like, you think it's really going to be harry and draco and them like kind of showing what they can do but um gilderoy lockhart steals the show because he's just like so extra um and he might be my favorite part of that movie even though he's like i wouldn't say he's a good guy or a bad guy but he is a mess of a person but he just brings like the lightness to the movie and i think in that very serious duel scene um he's just being himself. I don't know what hey, you haven't watched the first two movies in a while, which like fair, they're not like, they're, they're fun, but the, the other movies are definitely more fun to watch.
1: Yeah. I, I think that when I, looking back at what I remember from those movies, I do remember the, those, the first two movies being a more, being a, a more direct attempt to just like purely adapt the books than the rest of the movies that came after that, especially with like Prisoner of Azkaban, like Prisoner of Azkaban is very, uh, a director implementing his own vision. Yes. On the story and like interpreting it, interpreting the story in his own way versus the first two movies, which are, I think Chris Columbus, Chris Columbus directed those two. And that was more of a straightforward, like, here's what's on the page. We're going to do our best to
0: adapt it.
1: And it's, it's interesting you bringing up Lockhart and then like getting a guy like, uh, God, what is his name? Kenneth Branagh to, to play Lockhart, who is this, you know, famous, you know, British actor and, and director and this, you know, good looking guy, which is what it's, it's described as in the books and everything like that. But he's kind of, um, he, he reminds me of, of Mundungus in that yeah. they're both just like purely self-serving. Yes. Like, I like the way that you put it, where it's not, like, good or bad, but just purely looking out for their own self-interest. And that's, so in the book, it remind me if this happens in the movie, because in the book when they duel, um, like, Snape gives Malfoy a, like, a spell that conjures a snake. Yes. And Harry, like, speaks to the snake to tell the snake not to strike a student. Yes. This is where it reveals that he can speak partial tongue. Is yeah. that, that does that happen in the movie too? That
0: happens in the movie and I guess, yeah, that's like a big part of this scene. It's not the scene the part of it I was like thinking about when I wrote this down. But yeah, that ends up happening and like everyone is like, Oh my gosh, Harry speaks partial tongue and everyone wakes out and they and because the Chamber of Secrets is like I it has to do with Sal's like Slytherin could speak tongue. so people are like right. oh like maybe Harry is like the heir to Slytherin
1: yeah so that's just it's interesting to put that moment right after this like you you were talking about how this is kind of the first big public display of the Harry Malfoy rivalry and if you imagine like I try to put myself in the in the position of one of the other students who's watching them and you're probably rooting for one or over the other yeah. And then, you know, you you want Harry to beat Malfoy, you want you want Draco to be Harry or whatever. And then it seems like Malfoy gets the upper hand and then Harry comes back with this super radical like wild thing that no one would have ever anticipated happening, which is him speaking to the snake because no one's seen that in so long. And then the the only like it says in the book how they identify that ability with not only Slytherin, but I think Voldemort too, because Voldemort gets to speak snakes, which obviously is why Harry can do it. Yeah. But it's such a, a, a hard pivot. Like we've talked about that a lot in these two episodes, like the hard pivots the, the series takes. So you're, you're set up to, to see this thing where, you know, Harry and, and Draco have been going at it for a while, and now they're going to, you know, they're going to see what the other can do, and they're going to have this duel. But then it, it, it just takes this hard turn that propels the rest of the story
0: yeah yeah i guess like again when i was thinking about it when i was thinking through different moments and i'm just like oh like this is just a moment i think of that uh, the first half of that is because i wasn't thinking about like the the change that it causes but um yeah also maybe because i'm just like ah, oh, i want to like think about the first movies and when i think about the first two movies that have like because they were the same director and they, I kind of like lumped them together. I'm like, what was a big part of those movies? So that's, yeah. Anyways. Um, what's
1: your moment? Number three. My number three moment is Harry training Doubledore's army in order of the Phoenix. It's kind of uh, an interlude that's, it's interspersed with scenes of like Argus Filch trying to get into the room of requirement. Yeah. Um, Argus Filch, shout out to Walter Frey. When I when I found out that that was the same actor like a, a couple months ago, I found that out and I was like, "Damn, that's crazy." Um, but yeah, so he's he's training the the rest of the students who call themselves Dumbledore's Army in order to fight back against the regime of Professor Umbridge. And like I mentioned in the last episode, this was Hermione's idea. It was Hermione's idea to get these students together to train because they weren't learning anything in their Defense Against the Dark arts class that Umbridge was teaching because they didn't want, uh, you know, Umbridge, who is there as a surrogate for Fudge, doesn't want the students trained in magic, basically,
0: because mm-hmm. they
1: want them to bury their heads in the sand and not admit that Voldemort is back. Yeah. And so Hermione suggests Dumbledore's army getting Harry to train the students since they're not doing any magic themselves. And the scene this is where I, what I meant at the top where I'm trying to get some whimsy into the list because there is a whimsy to this scene, to them, you know, like learning these defensive spells and these offensive spells. He teaches them Stupefy, he teaches them Expelliarmus, and he teaches them how to conjure, you know, Patronuses. But... The, this long extended scene where they're like dueling each other. There's a lot of comedy in it. There's a lot of physical comedy in it in terms of them like stunning each other. And then they like fall down in a heap and things like that. And it's, it's, a, it's a serious scene, but again, there's a lightness to it. And then also I just think that it displays Harry's leadership ability in a really yeah. good way. Like we've seen him throughout the series be the quote unquote leader of his, of his, of his crew of him and and Ron and Hermione. But This kind of displays his leadership, his ability to lead a group of people, which will come into play later in the series. And especially at the end where he becomes the face of the resistance, basically. Mm -hmm. And so this is kind of the origins of him moving beyond his trio and being an inspiring figure for a larger group of people.
0: Yeah. I think that's a really good moment and it's like a good, but the very good part of like the order of the Phoenix, the movie, like it really, it shows so much of like what's happening without it feeling like it's dragging. I feel like a lot of movies, not necessarily Harry Potter movies, but just like movies in general where they're like, Oh yeah, they're like training and they're preparing like those scenes can kind of drag, but this is a, like, as they're preparing, like, you kind of, you know why they're preparing, and it, like, still sets it up for, like, later movies, so it's very, it's really good.
1: Let's get into your next moment. What is your number three moment? My number
0: three moment is um, when they go into Hogsmeade in The Prisoner of Azkaban, because that movie is, like, kind of its own thing and it's more fun. Um, And so like Harry does not get permission to go into Hogsmeade. Like it's when students are a third year, they can go to this town that's like pretty close to where Hogwarts is and they can go hang out. And um, Harry gets into a fight with the Dursleys like before even getting to school. Um, And so he does not get his permission slip signed and then, like, everyone at Hogwarts is like, oh, we don't really know because Sirius Black is on the loose and they think that Sirius Black is out to, like, kill Harry. So they're just like, oh, we want to, like, keep him safe and we're not going to, like, let him go to Hogsmeade. And he goes anyway because, of course, he does. And he, like, surprises Hermione and Ron because they're just, like, hanging out. And this is just a scene that's just, like, fun Where it's like, oh, Harry has like his invisibility cloak and he could be doing all these other things. And he's like, no, I just really want to go hang out in Hogsmeade. Um, So it just ends up being a fun, just a fun scene in the middle of that movie where like they're not as worried about all of the bad things. Or like everyone being super worried about Sirius Black where they're just like, no, we just want to like hang out and they mess with other people. It's just like, it's a fun, it's a fun time.
1: Is this the scene where, is it like snowing yeah. when they go to Hogsmeade? Okay. Yeah. Any time the movies and they go to Hogsmeade or if they're anywhere and it's snowing, like, I just love it because I just love how it shows the passage of time. Yeah. And I also just love, like, it it makes me think about when I was in school, um, you know, elementary school all the way up through college where you're walking around in the snow and you're just, you know, you're, with, you're at school and you're learning everything like that, but you're still um, out there just like kind of in the elements and just, I don't, it just reminds me of school. It's a very familiar, like comforting thing. There's a moment where in, um, in Order of the Phoenix, where they're like walking outside and they're talking about uh, the beginnings of Dumbledore's army and they're like planning it and everything like that. And then there's like, Hermione has a line where it's like it's fun breaking the rules or something like that. And then Ron is like, who are you? And what have you done with Hermione (laughs) And they're like in there, like they're, you know, they're stocking caps and they're all bundled up and stuff. So like anytime, anytime that happens in the movies, I just love it because it's very familiar to me and it's very like, it's a very comforting thing to see.
0: Yeah. It it really is. And it just and usually those moments aren't well, it's like they're heavy, heavy moments because nothing bad happens in the wintertime at Hogwarts. It's always at the end of the semester in the spring
1: damn that's so true it's <laughs> just like a, if you're a student and it's like damn like it's about to be spring finals and, you know some one of the students is gonna die or some. yep one of our staff is gonna be revealed to be working for voldemort or some shit that's crazy
0: yeah i saw a tweet that was just like voldemort likes to have his summers off that's why he's only working like throughout the school year to terrorize harry <laughs>
1: um that's facts it's pretty that's much so true.
0: it's so accurate it's, so, it's, like, it's crazy <laughs> um What's your number two moment of the movies?
1: My number two moment is in Goblet of Fire, and it is the first task where Harry faces the dragon. Um, just a really, really cool visual thing. Like, I remember in our last episode, you were talking about just, like, cool moments. Like, this yeah. is that for me. This is just a really cool moment. And this is... So the last two moments that I have are moments that where I... That I like the movie version better than the book version oh, okay so this is it's just it's I, I don't this moment specifically i won't say i like it better necessarily i just think that it's interpreted really well yeah and first of all the dragon still pretty the cgi holds up pretty well mm-hmm. um it was this movie came out in 2005 And I hold a a special place for this movie just because, again, like I mentioned last episode as well, it came out during the first year that I started working at the movie theater that I worked at. And I remember seeing like the posters for we would get the posters for the movies coming. And in the summer, we got the poster for Goblet of Fire. And it's like Harry wearing his Triwizard Tournament robes. And Mm -hmm. he's like super small in the frame. And he's like maybe opening a door or something and the door is like way bigger than he is. So it's just kind of this, it was a good visual interpretation of this underage wizard who's not supposed to be in the tournament, Mm -hmm. but is in the tournament with these older um, students and still has to like face these super dangerous challenges and everything like that. And so speaking of the scale, I think that it's, you get a, a sense, a good sense of that when Harry uses the firebolt to fly out of the arena and yeah. he, he kind of dodges and ducks the dragon above Hogwarts. And Hogwarts is so like big and the dragon is so big and he's so small. Yeah. And it's it's a really good use of scale to show the danger that he's in and like the peril that he's in. And so I, I really, really enjoy that moment.
0: It's a really cool moment. Like 100% and it is like, Like, the other tasks for the Triwizard Tournament are, like, fun, but that's definitely the one that just is, like, it kicks things off so strong. Of
1: course, it's, like, fun to watch. Another, like, small moment, too, between Harry and Hermione prior to starting that task where she's, like, hiding outside the tent and he's inside the tent with the other champions and she says something like, no, you'll be fine. All you have to do is, and he's like, battle a dragon. And she like comes and like hugs him and stuff. And it's just uh, a moment where you, you kind of empathize with him where it's like, you know, again, he's not supposed to be in this tournament. He's not supposed to be doing these super dangerous tasks, but he has to, and he has to kind of figure it out. It's a, it's a, it's a metaphor for the entire series. The entire series is this boy and his friends who are not of age, who are, thrust into these super dangerous situations and they have to like rely on their wits and you know help from others or luck or whatever it is to to get them through these super dangerous times that they're in and so that's kind of encapsulated in in this moment
0: oh yeah that's that's very true
1: what is your number two moment
0: so it is a just a funny moment it makes me laugh every time it happens because it's such a so the beginning of Deathly Hallows is just like so serious and like not really a bummer but everyone's like kind of sad because like Dumbledore has died in the past couple months and they're just like oh my gosh Voldemort is just like taking over the Death Eaters are terrorizing everyone and they show up and you like you see that Hermione's like she wipes her parents memory like it is like a heavy opening to the movie and then they're getting ready to take Mm -hmm. harry from his Mm -hmm. aunt and uncle's house and they're gonna take him to the borough and everyone has to become harry and it's just very like fred and george are joking about it um fleur is like don't look at me bill i'm hideous (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's a great moment. It's just so, great.
0: It's so funny um, because everyone just has, like, this commentary and, like, Harry's just over there, like, hanging out. Um, so that's my – it's not, like, a moment that that changes much and, like, um, it's just a bunch of Daniel Radcliffe's walking around, but with everyone else's voice, it's just very comical to me. And because that movie ends up just being such a serious movie and it's very heavy, like as I'm watching it, I'm like, oh my gosh, like they they kind of don't even end with like a ton of hope in this movie because it's before they get to defeating Voldemort. Like it is not an up movie. So um, that moment is just like a very happy moment in the middle of this, like very sad story when you think about everything going on.
1: Great acting from Daniel Radcliffe there, too, where he has to, like, take on the physical expressions of everyone who is playing him. So he has to, like, there's a moment where he's, like, kind of putting on his shirt as Dungas and he's, like, speaking and kind of looking like Dungas does. And then, like you mentioned, Floor and then Bill and – or Fred and George. And um, it it reminds me of – I think this is in – this would have this would be in Deathly Hallows 2, where Hermione takes the Polyjuice potion to become Bellatrix. Yes, so Helena Helena Bottom Carter has to play herself as Emma Watson playing her. Yeah, like taking on those like physical characteristics is really good. Like yes. everything, everything Polyjuice potion in both of those movies is uh, like pretty pretty. It's
0: it's very good. And like the like, even later in the part one, like when Harry, Ron, and Hermione are playing those wizards, they don't even know, and they like all look super uncomfortable. Like they're like so they're navigating the world in someone else's skin, very obviously. And they're just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to behave. And um, in the other ones, like there's like that they're not as worried about how they're being perceived, so they like do take on those um, behaviors of their own like, who they would be naturally. It's very amusing.
1: We've talked a little bit in these podcasts so far about the last lighthearted moments before being thrust into something really serious and dark, and I think that this is a a good example of that. Yeah. Where they're all, you know, it's a very jokey moment, but then right after that, you know, they're ambushed. When they're transporting Harry from the Dursleys to the Burrow, and in the books it's so it's so much deeper because they have there's like two points that they have to go to because i have to go to like tonks's house first and everything like that and like it's just it's so chaotic and everything but yeah this is a a great example of the last like little little bit of lightheartedness before the really serious deep stuff
0: yeah because like shortly after that um like Mad Eye Moody dies, and that shit. Like he is a big part of that scene, also. Like he contributes to the lightheartedness. So just, yeah, the the very hard pivot they like to do in the Harry Potter movies. Of it's it's a a theme. theme. (laughs) It is a theme, (laughs) Um, but I mean, it makes it enjoyable. Like it, it really does something for the movies by them doing that. So, what is your favorite moment in? The Harry Potter movies.
1: So this one is one that I knew right off the bat. I knew that this would be my number one. This is Dumbledore versus Voldemort in Order of the Phoenix, and this is this is like unequivocally a scene that I like more in the movie than in the books. Mm-hmm. It's described in the books as a thing that I like about the way that it's described in the books is just like the calm with which Dumbledore is dueling him. Yeah. Um, it's a, but in the movie, it's a little bit, he's like a little bit more desperate. But the point is that they're basically equals, which is just really cool to see. And backing up a little bit. So starting the scene with, this is the scene before, but like Bellatrix kills Sirius in the duel in that uh, room with the um, veil and the arch. So Bellatrix kills him. And, you know, Harry lets out this scream of anguish that's really, it's shot really well because it's like silent and, you know, you just see him screaming and then looping holding him. And he sees Bellatrix run out of the room and he chases after her and he uses the, the Cruciatus curse on her. And this scene is really well done in the movie because it, it reflects a theme in the book. Like the, one of the themes of Order of the Phoenix is the merging of the minds between Harry and Voldemort where Harry's mind is being penetrated by Voldemort or he's being influenced by Voldemort. And it's when he uses Crucio on her, you hear Voldemort in his head, like instructing him to kill her basically. And that doesn't happen in the books, but I thought it was really well done to sort of show that somatically in this, in this moment where he's kind of battling Voldemort's influence psychologically. I just think it's it's really cool. And the thing that I like in the movies better than the books is Voldemort calling him Harry. In the movies, he calls him Harry. In the books, he usually calls him Potter. I don't think he ever, he either calls him Harry Potter or he calls him Potter. I don't think he ever calls him Harry in the books. Mm-hmm. But I like that in the movies, he calls him Harry because it's sort of it suggests a familiarity. Yes. Right? Where it's, it's you know, he, they know each other. They know each other like they have this crazy like deep relationship. Mm-hmm. But the, the family, like you call your friends by their first name. You don't call your friends by their last name. Yeah. But, but the familiarity, it's not a friendly familiarity. It's like a sinister familiarity
0: yeah and i think
1: that's really cool where he's he's in there's he's he uses crucio on bellatrix and he's like in the books bellatrix says like you have to mean it in order for it to work but in in the movie it's it's Voldemort, and you he, he hear him inside harry's mind saying like you gotta mean it harry and like you know the spell harry and then he like appears he apparates there and he tells him you know like do it and like harry can't bring himself to do it but just that that internal battle between his psyche and Voldemort's psyche trying to intrude upon his, I just think is really cool.
0: It's it's a very good scene. Um and a Because really, Voldemort is like fully back, it's you have Voldemort, you have Dumbledore of Harry all there. So it definitely I think I agree that like the the movie version of this is probably better than the book. Um, But I think just because it like the visual piece of it is
1: just done very well. Yeah. I didn't even get into that. I didn't even get into like them actually dueling each other. Oh yeah. It's just so, it's, I just, I was so hooked on that first part that I forgot, but like visually the battle is just incredible. Like it's the, the spells that they use, the, you know, the CGI on it is just really incredible to watch. And it's it's there isn't really any other scenes like that in the entire series. Like, you yeah. get in Goblet of Fire, you get the duel between Harry and Voldemort, but they're both just using one spell on each other. Mm-hmm. And the spells are connecting, and he's trying to hold on. They're both trying to hold on. So there's that. But this, where it's just two super powerful wizards pulling out every trick that they have in order to beat each other. And then, really, it's Dumbledore at a disadvantage because he's trying to fight and protect Harry at the same time. So, it's, but the, the spectacle of it is just really cool. Like, Voldemort conjures this fire snake, and Dumbledore hits him with the you know, he traps him in, like, a sphere, of, a sphere of water. And it's just really, really cool to see. I remember seeing it for the first time, like, damn, like, this is crazy.
0: It, it's really good. Um, And I think like all the things that you laid out, like leading into that, like really contribute to making that scene just like very solid, like the Bellatrix and Harry and like what's going on there and Voldemort, like it just all is put together so well for like where the viewer is feeling something and like you can tell the characters are all feeling different things.
1: It's a textbook, like example of how a movie can is a movie is a different medium than a book. Yeah, like it's such yes. a, a the the visual medium of the movie really serves that moment better than the book could. Like a book couldn't, you couldn't really see that from a book in the way that you can from the movie. So yes, it's it's really incredible.
0: I agree. What
1: is what is your number one moment?
0: So my number one moment is. Um, Christmas in the Sorcerer's Stone. Christmas in any of the Harry Potter movies, like, I have mostly people who are like, oh yeah, Harry Potter is a Christmas movie. I don't agree with them. But I do appreciate the Christmas scene in the Harry Potter movies. But um, in the Sorcerer's Stone, it's that it's his first Christmas that he's, like, taking care of. Um, like, Ron's mom sends him a sweater that she knitted, and, like, he gets the invisibility cloak and he and ron just have like this really good time it's like early on in their friendship but and like before they have to just deal with all the things with the sorcerer stone and like any type of major conflict so um it's just a, it's such a feel good moment and it's like how this how it all begins basically um like the tone changes from movie to movie but like That, that moment, like, kind of carries with, like, Harry and Ron's relationship and, like, Harry just, like, feeling valued, um, in the movies by, like, the Weasleys and, like, that just, it pushes all of those relationships, um, I feel like it starts in that moment in the movies, I mean, like, in the books, I feel like Harry and Ron, like, on the train, like, it was very clear they're gonna be buds, um, and then, like, in the movie, when they are, um, like, just at Hogwarts alone for Christmas, it just really solidifies their friendship. And it's just so nice.
1: Yeah, the relationship-building aspect of of both the movies and the books are so well-expressed. Yeah. And you can... You can imagine from Harry's perspective, like you said, like growing up in an environment where he didn't really have anyone to care for him or about him. And then, you know, he probably sees, he grew up probably seeing Christmas as just another day. Yeah. And now he gets to this castle with these people who make it this, you know, special event for him. It's so formative for him and it's so formative for his relationship with Ron. He yeah. kind of sees that, you know, this is going to go deeper than just, we're just friends at school, right? This is, it's going to be a lifelong, complete, um, valued friendship and like brotherhood. Yeah. So I, it's a, a really great moment. I agree with you.
0: So do you have any honorable mention
1: moments? Um, yeah, the first honorable mention, I guess I have to shout this out just because, well, I, there's two. So the first okay. one I'll say, I'll, I'll get to them both really quick. The Princess Tale in Deathly Hallows 2. Yes. I think it's just, I think it's really, it's, it's, you know, maybe the most famous chapter of any of the books. And I think that the way that it's presented in the movie, it's pretty straightforward mm-hmm. from the book. And I think that it was smart for them to do it that way. And it's, you know, the flashbacks and the scenes of, of Snape's memories it's really kind of disorienting to go back and forth through his memories in the way that you do. And I think that that's, it's well done in that way, because imagine, you know, think about the way that you dream, you often dream in like different scenes and go back and forth and you don't know how this scene connects to that scene, but it's, it's kind of like watching a dream. So I'll say that. And then the second one is in Deathly Hallows one, which is the tale of three brothers. Oh yes. And the way that that's animated. That's yes. there's not a scene like that in any other of the movies. And it's really really cool to see. And it's just I remember reading that passage for the first time and like seeing it in that way I'm like she literally just like created this fable. Like yeah. this is something that really like reading that I was like if you had told me that this was written in like the 1300s like I would have believed it. And it just shows that she's such a, Rowling is such a a student of like classic literature to come up with this fairy tale in that way and to see it visually in that movie, which is really cool. What about you?
0: Yeah, I will. first of all, that is an amazing scene um, that they did um, that it like is so fun and so different. Um, My honorable mentions, again, how I mentioned there are just scenes I think of that are just like, so funny to probably just me. Um, But it's at Slughorn's Christmas party. And like Hermione's trying to like avoid Cormac the Clagon, who was her date to the party. (laughs) And like the, the waiter is like, Oh, do you want to eat these? They'll give you bad breath. She's like, Oh, eat all of them. Oh my God, he's coming. So she runs away. And so Harry's left there holding this platter of food. And Cormac is like kind of a bro. He's kind of douchey. And, even Hermione earlier, earlier in the movie is like, he's vile. And like, he is, he's like, just, ugh, Um, but he just like starts shoving these into his mouth. And he's like, what are these? And Harry's like dragon balls. And he's like, he stares at Harry for a second and then Snape walks up and then uh, Cormac throws up on Snape's shoes. And Snape is just like, not pleased. And like, I think a lot of moments in, the Half-Blood Prince are like this, where they're like, they don't do anything for the story. I think they're very amusing. I really enjoy it. I enjoy the movie because of it, but it's not like the other movies where like the story is like very well developed and put together. Um, it's like a fun movie. It's not a fun Harry Potter movie. Yeah. Um, and that's just one of those moments that like it just really speaks to how that movie is set up
1: it's kind of like a teen movie moment to be at this party and you know the main woman character is trying to make her semi-love interest jealous and so she brings this like this bro like you said basically to the party to make him jealous but it backfires because she can't stand him. Like she can't stand to be next to him, and so yeah, it's it's a pretty classic like movie trope for this to happen. And then yeah, I, I don't think that's in the in the book either. That specific no. thing where he's like, yeah, it's Dragon Balls, and he's like, yeah, he like vomits on his yeah on the shoes.
0: It's so different because like that's not really like J.K. Rowling does like. There are funny moments in the Harry Potter books. Like she writes like funny moments but like that's not like her style of funny and yeah it just is very much not like anything that you would expect to come out of the book
1: a really another quick one I just thought of from Half-Blood Prince is the beginning where Harry's like at the in the subway like cafe and this girl comes up to him and yeah kind of like you know kind of chopping it up with her and then she says something like yo like my shift is over at blah 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 and he's like okay bet and then Dumbledore comes in and it's just yeah. like just blocks him hard yeah like prime Dwight Howard blocks this
0: <laughs> yeah and he's just like let's go yeah <laughs> like I'd have then, been very
1: upset if I was in Harry's situation right uh, there
0: and then when Dumbledore like after they go to Slughorn's house and he's just like, she was pretty. <laughs> and Harry's like, that's okay. Tomorrow I'll go back.
1: <laughs> right. He's like,
0: no, you won't.
1: I'm like, yes, yeah, she was. Wasn't she? Yeah. Damn. <laughs> you got me out here at this random dude's house.
0: Yeah. It's like, it's very comedic. Um, and that, I don't think that's in the book at all where he no. like, No, no, like, Dumbledore does say, like, hey, we're going, and then he's like, you're not going back to the Dursleys. But, right.
1: Um, yeah, because he takes them from the Dursleys' house, not, like, the London Underground. Yeah. Like, in the movie.
0: Yeah. But the movie, movies are good, and that one is definitely, it's full of those random moments.
1: It is. I just, yeah, I, I think about that movie specifically. It's just like, you made such like, drastic changes. Yeah. Think about I don't know. Well, this was fun again, it Emily. Was. Another great one in the can. Um, do you want to kind of tease what the next episode is going to be? Yes.
0: So, next time, um, Arnold and I will be talking about our favorite books and breaking them down. Um, we had like, hinted at what our... I mean, I think we both said what our favorite books were on the last episode, but now it'll be, like, more of a, like, a deep dive of each of those books. So, we look forward to Talking about them and continuing to just enjoy the Harry Potter world.
1: I'm excited for this. I'm excited for like making the outline for this episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm excited to like get into your, the reasons why your favorite is your favorite. So I'm very excited.
0: I'm, I'm like... I love to hear when people talk about like their favorite books because it's like everyone picks out different things. Like even if we were to pick the same book, we would probably pick different things. So exactly. it's going to be really fun. I'm really excited.
1: It really is. Thank you guys again. You cool cats and kittens. Sorry. <laughs> I, <have
0: to. laughs> uh,
1: I know that was so lame.
0: Live your that best life. That joke
1: was lame, but yeah,
0: it's Oof. it's okay. It's pop culture. Like we're we're talking about pop culture that technically counts.
1: No, maybe we'll get into that at some point. Who knows? I know that y'all talked about it on Sports and Corks, but maybe we'll, I don't know. Maybe the less said about that, the better. Um, But again, thank you everyone for listening to Culture Check, Harry Potter. Um, For Emily Cornell, we love you guys. And we are looking forward to continuing the journey. Yep, we'll talk to you next week.